Hi and welcome to another episode of Hippo Brain. Here is where we have hippo-sized conversations with people with hippo-sized brains. Many years ago, Rajesh and me met and we kept having these various conversations with amazing individuals. And we've always thought that these are great conversations. They should be stored somewhere. Where better than YouTube? And that's where we started Hippo Brain. We've been on this journey and we intend continuing it. You should have amazing time listening to these Hippo Brain conversations that we've had. We've, we've had great fun recording them. We've had great fun talking to these people. We've had great fun revisiting them. Hopefully they're as useful to you as they are to us. Rajesh? Hi everyone. Welcome to another edition of Hippo Brain. Today, we have a very interesting guest, our first from Southeast Asia, Rahmat Kaimuddin. Rahmat is the CEO of Indonesia's largest e-commerce company, uh, Bukala Park. And uh, uh, we're going to talk about his journey. So Rahmat basically, uh, of course, grew up in Indonesia, uh, studied there, then went to MIT, uh, uh, then spent some time in the U.S. Uh, working at Teledyne and then Stanford uh, MBA and then uh, returned back to Indonesia, worked in the old economy companies, what we call old economy uh, for many years. And then in January this year, in 2020, uh, he was brought in by the founders of Bukala Park as CEO. Uh, so it's an amazing story uh, that we are going to talk through today. How what are the differences between running old economy companies, new economy companies, uh, Rahmat's own personal journey from Indonesia to the US and back? Welcome to Hippobrain, Rahmat. Thank you. Thank you, Rajesh. Very ple pleasure to be here. And uh, let's start with your journey. So um, um, I guess my uh, initial part would be just to run through your journey and uh, what made you decide to come back after spending so many years uh, in the US? Okay, uh, how long do you have? <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, try to, to, I'll try to keep it a little bit, uh, you know, just the, the key points, yeah. But basically, you know, it starts, uh, you know, as you said, I, I was born and raised in Indonesia. I grew up in a city called Makassar. It's outside Java, about two hours flight from Jakarta. Uh, my my parents is a, my father is a civil servant. Uh, mom is a homemaker. And um, actually when, when you know, um, I, I was 12 and all my, our, my siblings were still in school age, uh, my father passed away. And uh, at that time then my mom uh, opened a small business, uh, you know, selling clothes, uh, you know, opening a small catering business. And at that time, I decided that uh, you know I need to help her. So one of the things that I know at the time is to do well in tests. <laughs> I, I, that that is probably one thing I know <laughs> how to do. <laughs> uh, maybe at the time I was like you know like you know little good boy you know do well in school and that's it. Right? That is all what is expected of you if you live live in a kind of like a middle class comfort and suddenly things change. So, um, so I, I tried to get a scholarship, um, which I did when I was in high school. So I went to Java uh, in the city called Magelang. Uh, Magelang is where uh, Borobudur Temple is, if you know. And it's uh, near uh, Prambanan Temple is. So I think like, people in the, India, probably some of them uh, uh, know, yeah. Uh, Borobudur is one of the biggest uh, Buddhist temple uh, in, in the world. So I studied there and in a, a government-sponsored magnet school with 250 other, uh, 249 other uh, students across Indonesia. Um, and at a time, you know, we always been kind of told that, hey, you will be a future leader of Indonesia, you know, study hard and get back, uh, help lead the country and whatnot. It was, it was a new program at that time. I was the fifth uh, generation, like, you know, fifth batch, we call it. Um, uh, during that time, I did quite well, uh, won a couple of national competitions uh, and, you know, got an opportunity to 
represent Indonesia for like a science Olympiad uh, in Canada at that time. And at that, uh, afterwards, someone from my hometown, um, friends of my father who, is, who happened to be a conglomerate, uh, offered me a challenge. And I said like, hey, uh, Rahmat, uh, if you if you you look like you you you're, you can do very well in school, uh, if you can get into one of the top universities in the U.S., I will pay for your uh, school. <laughs> and uh, yeah, basically, I I took up that challenge uh, and I got to, into MIT and um, and could you know, basically respect to the gentleman, even though at that time it was. Uh, 98 uh, after you know the Asian crisis, he was good for his promise. Um, so he sent me through MIT. I studied electrical engineering uh, there, mostly about semiconductor design. Uh, that was kind of like a lot of people learn. You know, there's some computer science, some do electrical engineering. So I, I thought at that time, okay, I, I like to see physical stuff. So I studied there. And then um, graduated right after the dot-com bubble burst <laughs> in the US. Luckily, uh, I, I got a job. So, and this is also serendipitous, right? So I was my, in my third year, uh, my fifth semester. Um, and, you know, I, there is a job fair and I was just, you know, walking around and saying like, hey, there's this company. So I put up my resume uh, and he, he asked me for an interview. And even though I was a junior, still one more year. And then when I, when I get the offer, I realized that I can actually, I have enough credit to graduate um, after three years. So I finish up my, my, my sixth semester and uh, get, a, get a degree. And because of that, uh, luckily, I, I got a job, even though um, afterwards the U.S. economy technology.com uh, goes haywire at that time. Yeah. So here I was working for Teradyne, uh, Teradyne make tester equipment. Um, and my second day of job, uh, I, I, this is in Boston, second day of job, I still remember this like yesterday, I went in the morning and suddenly people make a lot of noise. Um, we checked the TV and we saw, uh, you know, in, in the TV, planes hitting towers. <laughs> so this is my second day of work was 9-11. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, so I, I, but I stayed in, in the company for a year. Uh, they offered me a job opportunity, like, you know, extend my visa and whatnot. Um, but then at that time, I felt like, okay, uh, do I want to be here in the US or I want to basically go back to Indonesia and, you know, build my career there, kind of fulfill my, my destiny, if you will, <laughs> the one that has been indoctrinated to me since I was uh, young, yeah, in, in the high school. So, uh, went back, uh, Somehow my visa took a long time at the time, but uh, I, I also uh, knew a few people in, in management consulting. They offered me a job in the Boston Consulting Group. So, you know, and that's, that's what brought me back to Indonesia. And then since, since then it's becoming like, you know, uh, you know at the time management consultant is, uh, is the talent magnet um, in Indonesia. Uh, we are not that big in technology at that time. Um, if you are an electrical engineer, maybe uh, you work for some manufacturing companies or you work for energy, uh, state-owned energy company in Indonesia, there is no fab uh, that produce in a commercial uh, scale. So I decided to you know, uh, use my analytical skills helping companies uh, grow. And then, you know, you go to, I went into that, uh, sector um, management consulting, and then they sent me to business school, and then afterwards uh, learn about private equity. Uh, you know, uh, in in business school, 
of, of course, also I was lucky that I went to business school in Silicon Valley. So learn about technology, venture capital. But again, um, this is 2006-2008. Went back to Indonesia. Uh, there is no VC. There's no thriving uh, startup um, companies um, or ecosystem. So you know, I decided to to do private equity at the time. You know, just basically, I, I feel like um, I, I was intrigued by by investment. I met Warren Buffett when I was in business school, and I was like, "Yeah, this guy is very cool." You know, um, like allocating capital uh, that is a great way to create value. If you if you put the capital into the right place, you can you can push the country into or the society. You can make you know the country, society, the world a better place if you if you do this right. Consulting, uh, uh, sorry, private equity investment. And then uh, in 2014, uh, the gentleman who sent me through college uh, wanted to buy a bank. And uh, he basically called me and said like, hey, uh, Rahmat, uh, you know, uh, I have this business and, and you know, we, are, we are buying a bank and we are looking for someone who basically can help us who knows corporate finance uh, and maybe familiar with finance and there is there is no other guy that we can think of <laughs> um, and I remember in 2001 right after I graduated I wrote a letter to him and said pa, um, thank you for for you know uh, for your scholarship um, you know I'm, I, I graduated I got a job in the US um, but if you need me you call me and you know, in 2014, he called. <laughs> so that is that is kind of like my my experience really working in the old economy because um, the, the the companies actually the, the group has a some in factory, a bank, uh, you know, a dealership. There's many many um, businesses. So I sat there, kind of playing a few roles. Uh, one helping him in the corporate finance. And then afterwards, uh, he asked me to be in the in the cement uh, company for a couple of years, and also as a board member in in the bank. And then in 2018, uh, there is a a need for the bank to have a full-time CFO, and basically uh, the shareholders asked whether whether I can be uh, I can I can play that role, uh, you know, for 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 a few years. And yeah, at that time I said yes, so that's why I moved to to the bank. And and then in 2020, 2019, and um, founder of Mukalapak uh, asked me to join. So you know that is kind of the the story. <laughs> it's an amazing story, Emma. Uh, uh, I think just the whole journey, the way you described it, some element of of course um, uh, luck, but it's amazing hard work which basically has gotten you to where you are. Um, what's very interesting is there is a, uh, you talked about capital allocation. Um, there is a book which you are probably familiar with, The Outsiders by William Thorndike. And uh, you were associated with two companies out of the eight profiled in the book, Teledyne and of course, uh, you met Warren Buffett. <laughs> um, fascinating. So a question really which comes to my mind is, what made you shift? Uh, so you've been doing very well banking and uh, working with a large sort of conglomerate. Um, what made you shift from banking to Bukala Park? Yeah, maybe uh, again, this is uh, something that uh, I wrote again 15 years ago. Yeah? Uh, I, when I applied to B school, um, my school always asked this question, uh, what matters most to you and why? And you know, what, what is your career aspiration? And uh, what I wrote at the time is that I, I want to be a leader in an organization that create a big positive impact to a lot of people. Uh, that, 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 is, um, that is what I wrote. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, over time, I, I, I try to 
kind of live my life and career, build my career around, you know, with that test, am, am I making positive impacts um, and whatnot? Uh, of course, you know, commercial bank is is a very important job. Um, you know, uh, very respectable in Indonesia. Uh, but I I mentioned just now, um, it's it's uh, when I was asked to move in that uh, in that job, it was uh, there is a couple of projects, uh, you know, some very important, very time critical projects that that was given to me and um, I needed to do to get it done. And basically completed uh, those jobs in, like say in 2018 and then in kind of uh, by, by Q, Q3 2019, um, most of that is, is done. And sometimes I ask myself, it's like, is there anybody better than me to be a CFO of this bank? Uh, you know, this this is a very specialized uh, job um, as well, and you know the generalist job that I did, I think I I, I completed, and the special specialized knowledge that I have is already already done. So, and and at that time, um, that is when I was approached by the founders of Bukalapak. And if you are approached by uh, a founder of a unicorn, it's kind of an icon in the industry if you will it's it's very flattering and you have to listen to uh, what he got to say and um, and then after telling the story about Bukalapak and how uh, you know how he built the, the mission of the company um, it kind of resonates with me and I was like yeah this is probably my chance to to do what what I said I wanted to do in 2005 um, this is a great platform, very mission driven, uh, really create big impacts to the, to the company. And, you know, uh, if I don't do it, I will probably regret it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so that, that, that is, is probably as simple as that. <laughs> no, you're right there, Matt. I think sometimes it's just a, when opportunity comes knocking, <laughs> it's, you have to grab it with, with both your hands. Um, but just there, I'd like to just um, hold. You said uh, you've had to uh, now have a chance to work with a company that is able to create a big positive impact. Now, uh, if you could take some time to explain uh, what is so unique about Bukalapak and um, what are the interesting challenges that you face on multiple grounds? One is, of course, from where you were, which is a not startup, which is not a startup to a startup world, how does the management, et cetera, change? And second, very importantly, you're a professional CEO, which was from a firm that was earlier run by co-founders. So in this thing, if you could, in these aspects, if you could explain Bukalapak and your role in that. Okay. So um, Bukalapak was started with, with a dream to create fairness, if you will. Um, and I think the, the, the founder uh, basically have a story that, you know, he, he was from small city in Java. He sees like entrepreneurs and like a small medium business and you know, they, they didn't chat, they didn't grow. They, they stay as is for decades. And I know the way, the way we think about it is like, you know, Indonesia, is you know it's a great country economic growth uh, a lot of potential but it is still have uh, it's kind of like like most of developing countries face right first is it's a it's a huge country um 270 million plus people three time zones and the challenge is it comprised of 17,500 islands yeah, um, of course, the one that people know, the, the top one is Bali, <laughs> the second one will Java. <laughs> and Java is, you know, it's very important islands because it's, you know, volcanic, very fertile, uh, you know, all the colonial powers came to Java first, right? And it, it, they built infrastructure in Java, maybe two like 150 million people in Java, the dense, the densest island in the world. So you can think of Indonesia as like, okay, there, there is this Java island, uh, probably quite well developed, especially in the big cities. And then 
there is like five uh, big other other big islands and small small islands. Uh, there is a lot of uh, you know infrastructure challenges. Uh, you know, just because people just want to build it in Java. That's where the mar people is, market is, economic activities, and whatnot. Right? So the thought is, okay, um, if you don't have capital, then you cannot compete because if you, you know, you cannot open mall, you cannot open, you cannot open your business in a mall, you, you cannot open many branches, you are stuck basically. You open your shop in the, your nearest market, you open your shop into, you know, uh, in your house and your, your scale or your coverage is very, very small, right? So capital is one thing, right? How it's hard to open like a proper business. Infrastructure is a challenge. Um, if you are outside of the center of economy, um, then you you find it difficult both to to be a business owner or even as a customer. You know, uh, I, I grew up in Makassar. It's still quite large city, but you know there is a lot of things that we cannot find in Makassar, but we can find easily in Jakarta, for example. So just to find things is hard, um, and then. Because all that, for example, the other, other challenge we see is um, financial inclusion. You know, if you, if you want to trade, uh, you know, um, basically you need, you need the logistics, you need the information technology or communication, uh, you also need the payment, right? Um, and if you don't have that digital currency, if you are not connected in the bank, then okay, you you are cash economy. Then you can only do it physically. So those are the kind of things that uh, um, Indonesia is facing. Indonesians are facing, and and Bukalapak was started to help create some sort of fairness for all this, right? And the way uh, we think it needs to be done is to create a uh, to bring e-commerce platform into everyone, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think at, 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 at this point, uh, you know, we, because it's quite easy, for example, you know, at the time when we start, internet is there. Indonesia has a lot of internet users. So yeah, that's fine. But the moment we move it into transaction, it's actually, the conversion is very small because, you know, people are, they don't trust it. Uh, they don't trust the platform. Uh, they don't. They don't trust like buying stuff in the in the phone or in the internet. It's kind of like your money goes to the eater, right? So creating maybe the tech, the internet technology, yeah, the application, if you will, is relatively simple. But creating an ecosystem that that is trusted, that that is reliable, you know, uh, you know, working with a lot of logistic. Uh, companies are solving this logistical challenge, solving this uh, payment challenges. Th those are, I think, uh, Bukalapak is all about. And, um, and this is very fascinating because it's so fundamental to people's lives. Um, yeah, yeah, and over here, then it's such a strong mission. It is run by a founder and now a professional CEO comes in. How do you take it forward? How do you see these challenges? Yeah, um, basically, it is uh, that that that's, that is why when the founders came to me, it was very flattering and confusing at the same time for me. At the time, I was like, really, <laughs> um, uh, because because the founder is is uh, you know is an icon in the industry. Um, but then he explained to me why, what, what he, he wants. He said, look, I'm a founder. I started this company in and now it's a unicorn. I have like 2000 companies, like hundreds of millions of, uh, of customers, like you know, transactions, like millions of uh, transactions every day and whatnot. And, I think it's time for me to disrupt myself, and and we, you know, it's it's not easy to find the people that we think suitable, but we think you are, and 
you know, are you interested in, in doing this project? And I was like, okay, uh, I, I do think that I have some experience running kind of like scaled organization and, and hopefully the intellectual and mental wherewithal to, to take this challenge. So I was like, yeah, you know, if you, I'm, I'm, I'm in if you are, <laughs> it's kind of, um, but of course we, the first thing is that I need to download uh, to understand what keeps, what is the DNA, you know, that, that mission, uh, it's gonna, because it's kind of passing a very important uh, mission or like the torch to me and I need to make sure that I don't drop it, right? Because um, I'm pretty sure like, of course, uh, some people will probably join because of uh, the persona of the co-founders, um, which is a challenge. Some will join for the mission, what we are trying to do. Um, and well, of course I cannot be the co-founder, right? Uh, but what I can do for sure is to ensure that the mission is uh, preserved, if you will, the spirit. Um, and another thing that we, we discuss a lot uh, with the founders, with the co-founders and as well as the the shareholders, yeah, the supporters, it's like, this mission is a very, very long-term mission. Um, and we, we need to find a way to, to create this, uh, to run this as a business, um, you know, to, to do this sustainably and whatnot. And uh, th I think this is also uh, where they think my, my experience, my expertise, my capabilities comes into play. Uh, like you know, someone who, who basically, uh, you know, you create something is one skill, you and then scaling, and then after that, move this and maintain this into a sustainable or stable platform, uh, building it as a you know people say it's pirates versus navy, um, yeah, you know, it's like okay, this is this used to be pirates, let, let's create it as a navy, and and that is uh, my task uh, moving forward. So, Mehmet, I think uh, you, you got the right analogy, you know, pirates and Navy. <laughs> um, but if you look at, uh, you know, the, the speed of, of a startup that is there is quite different from uh, sort of the world of banking and the old economy. How do you adjust? So how does a professional CEO who comes in, um, what are the changes that you had to personally make in your leadership and your management style? Uh, to to oversee and run a company like Bukala Park, where there is, which is operating all across Indonesia, it's in a cutting edge of technology. It's making difference to hundreds of millions of people. So, what are the transitions that you had to do personally? Yeah, um, I think the first thing I did is, uh, you know, of course, speak with a lot of people, and I, I do a lot of self uh, assessment, yeah, uh, a lot of thought uh, thinking, and basically decide that you know that there are things that i will add a lot of value uh, by by actively contributing and there is things that there are things that i will add a lot of value by just get the heck out of the way <laughs> for example <laughs> so um yeah i think i i'd like to think of myself uh, you know i mean maybe not maybe not that is not the right statement uh, I aspire to be someone who is, uh, you know, uh, open, open and accessible, uh, relatively egalitarian values. That those are something that I think uh, resonates to me. Like it's kind of cool. And I also remember um, when I used to work for someone, uh, the leaders that I enjoy working for is the the, the leaders who basically helped me. Uh, to be the best version of I am, right? And give, basically give, give me the support, the tools uh, to, do, uh, to do what I, 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 you know, to improve and to do my job well. Um, and also maybe sometimes nudge me and, you know, pull my ears if I'm being naughty or whatever, right? <laughs> so keep me. So that, that, is, that is what uh, what I was trying to do. So first is like, 
we state um, what is our mission. We reiterate that, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, if I, I, can, I can say it in very short sentence, uh, what I want to do moving forward is I want to do our mission sustainably. So those are the kind of two things, you know, mission and sustainability. <laughs> those are the two things. Um, uh, you know, the other things uh, may be less important. Uh, sometimes, you know, yeah, people was like, oh, uh, someone else's valuation is better than you, or someone else get this award, uh, why are you not, or something like that. So I was like, oh, th those are, you know, having my face in, in the on TV or, uh, you know, in the magazines, you know, whatever, all this kind of is, is much less important than us focusing on, you know, how can we do this mission and we have to do it sustainably because this is a very long-term mission. It, one cannot live after the other. Um, and so after we clarify that, uh, then we start asking uh, what are, what do they need? What are the, my, my team needs? because uh, they know what to do um, and you know having all these conversations um, so so a lot of this me saying a lot repetition of okay this is the mission this is what we're gonna do all this kind of stuff and uh, having kind of deep conversation on the problems <laughs> that they're facing and hopefully uh, we will we will be able to yeah, provide the tools uh, or the environment so for them to, to thrive uh, so there, there is this this book uh, called uh, Turn the Ship Around. <laughs> um, it's about a, a, a guy. Uh, he's a captain of a submarine in the U.S. and he's a very strong technical leader. He he is, he knows everything about the ship that he thought he's gonna run, and you know it's like which kind of, I, I relate to that as well. It's like, okay, I want to know everything that's going on. And then he was moved into a ship that is very bad, like the bottom, uh, and he did a new tech, different technology. He doesn't, he, he doesn't know what, what is, what's going on in that ship. And he was like, okay. Uh, and then what he decided to do is he create uh, leaders in, 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 the, in the rank. It's like, okay, uh, I will help you do that. So it kind of resonate to me in this situation because I, there are many people who knows the technology much better today than me. That being said, uh, I'm a nerd at heart and I have a very, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud man as well. So I'm, I'm trying to learn <laughs> right now. So, the, so my, my stupidity is not the, <laughs> doesn't cost the company and hopefully it doesn't cost my team <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, what you're saying is, I, I, I hear you, what you're saying is that uh, if there are a lot of moving parts, you ensure there are enough leaders, add value where you can and get out of the way. <laughs> and the challenge and the most interesting thing is to know when to do what. <laughs> yeah, so, so tell me on um, uh, as you explained, Indonesia is a large, wide country and lots of islands, 17,500 islands. Running e-commerce there would be a challenge in itself, trying to get the logistics in. It's a two-sided marketplace as well. So you have to figure out the demand, you have to get the supply, you have to ensure that they are connected, they meet and ensure the transaction happens. There are so many moving parts. How do you decide what to prioritize, what should I move first, what is important and what are the challenges that you face on that? Yeah, um, it, it is, yeah, yeah. well, sometimes people ask me also about, about banking and uh, e-commerce and one, one of the things that uh, I can say is, on, banking is also kind of like a two-sided uh, platform. Um, and, there are a few interesting characteristics of a two-sided platform. Yeah. First is because you don't have, you don't have the goods per se. Um, your margin is limited. The room for margin is limited, right? Uh, because you know you, you you are an intermediary, if you will. Um, the other thing is 
uh, you you have to be perceived uh, as someone reliable and trustworthy. So reputation is very important. Um, and again, if you are successful, uh, you have to deal with a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, a lot of parties, everything, right? It's very complex. So, you know, um, when you think about it, it's a very hard job. <laughs> and uh, so hard job that is of limited margin. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just sometimes like, oh, why do you want to do this? <laughs> but I guess if it works, it, it will work very beautifully. Uh, and um, and that, that is, that is uh, I think, uh, something that, uh, you know, uh, maybe we can, we can say is a competitive advantage of the mode, if you will, right? You just need to, one, uh, reputation is very important. Uh, reputation, because otherwise, if, if there's no reputation, you're not trustworthy, reliable kind of things, nobody want to be intermediated by you, right? <laughs> so, so that is one. Uh, and it's, again, same in banking, reputation is very important. And the fact that uh, our margin is limited, meaning that we just have to think uh, to be efficient every time. Like you know, if if I were to do something, uh, will I will I be able to uh, do this uh, um, in the most efficient manner? Like you know, because premium, very expensive solution will not work because you don't have that room, and and. The third one is maybe connected also is is um, you have to be able to handle complex transaction in a scalable manner. Uh, so I would say the critical part is uh, one thing to do is to have this mindset embedded to the team. <laughs> it's like hey, we 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 are not like other technology company with like you know let's say the search engine that have like you know margin of 70% or 90% or whatever right this is hard work <laughs> um hard complex work and and uh, you have to find what is the most efficient solution scalable solution um how to deal with ma um, multiple parties um uh, and and whatnot right and all the while keeping your reputation intact so yeah i mean i think i think uh like everything, yeah. Uh, having having this problem uh, statement, or like you know, the, the, the key point is define first. Uh, that is one thing that that I I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> so you know, because for example, okay, people sometimes think, okay, create creating like a cool technology. Okay, uh, you know that, that is cool, but how how is that impacting our reputation or scalability? Or you know our ability to handle uh, uh, our efficiency. Th those are <laughs> those are the things <laughs> that I, I know. It probably sounds quite uh, fluff, yeah, but it's it's very important. I think. I think Ramat, you you explained it beautifully. I think the analogy with banking um, and what Bukala Park is doing, I think, is is fascinating. As a two, both are in a way two-sided marketplaces. Trust reliability, low margins, um, uh, efficiency, uh, and uh, uh, creating something which can scale infinitely in a way. Uh, I think uh, are both relevant. I can now see why uh, the founders chose you to come in and uh, run Bukala Park. I think you're, you're the way, there's a lot of so many similarities in a way to the banking business. It's, it's fascinating. Um, looking, looking forward, how do you think in terms of you know, strategy uh, in a in a fast changing digital company, because there's a lot of capital coming in now into Southeast Asia and especially Indonesia. Um, it's one of the fastest growing markets uh, uh, in the region, uh, in the world actually. Um, and so, how do you think of strategy? You know, strategy is about making choices. So I'm sure you face a lot of these decisions on an ongoing basis. How do you think about that? Yeah. Um... I think basically, uh, like we, we, you know, Indonesia is uh, 
is a very big market, right? And I, I just reread this book and uh, just recently I shared this to my team this week actually uh, of the book from Zero, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And he was describing about uh, the rise and fall of the clean tech industry. Um, and they said like, hey, um, energy is a big segment. It's a huge segment. And um, of course, uh, you know, the, the, someone who can, who can conquer this will be, will be great, right? Um, but a lot of people fail uh, in, the, in the clean tech investment because, you know, they say, okay, big, big, big segment, uh, here's capital run with it, right? But the winner is the one that can provide a superior solution uh, to, to, a, to a problem. And, you know, um, capital, uh, like a lot of investment, a lot of players, is, it can be distracting um, for us because there's always kind of uh, newer, shinier uh, peers, like uh, people who want to who want to do this, yeah. Um, but the way I think about this is like, look, let's not um, let's not worry about. Uh, sorry, we should be worried more wh whether we have been able to provide superior solution for the problem. Yeah, whether we whether we can can create like a, a basically, you know, uh, we have chosen our segment, which is what I, I said, we want to serve the underserved. Uh, we, are, we, are we are choosing our segment, small and medium enterprises, uh, mass market. So our, our commerce platform, maybe not 100% geared to all the population, like, you know, uh, maybe say middle up, the one that is already being served by, by a lot of people or people in, in who live in the commercial centers in Jakarta, those are not the ones that, uh, that probably will benefit from our service. So, um, so the, this, super, the, this problem uh, to provide the super solution at the moment, we, we decided to, to think of uh, what are their pain points. Yeah, because there, there is still uh, a missing link between kind of like, okay, uh, Indonesia, 170 million uh, people using internet, but the e-commerce transaction is still very low. And we, we thought, okay, uh, the problem is about, uh, not only about creating a platform, e-commerce platform, and promote it such that people are, using it habitually. If you do that, um, maybe you are, you are kind of serving the same guys. And we, we know how to do it. We have been doing that for more than a decade. We, we know these, type of, these people and we have our own uh, market for that, right? But if you were to really focus on solving these problems on, on you know, fairness of uh, commerce, we have to solve the digital currency problem. We have to solve this trust problem. And fact of the matter is in Indonesia, uh, people still like to buy from mom and pop shops. Uh, they like to go to their neighbor, uh, mom and pop kiosk. I don't know what they call it in India, uh, Kirana probably. Yeah, we call it Indonesia warung. Um, and if they don't have digital currency, they still pay by cash. So uh, three years ago, Bukalapak uh, decided to, to, to basically and give uh, technology to these warung owners or Kirana owners. And with that, uh, so this, we create an application whereby basically uh, they can do a few things. The first thing is in our online marketplace, we, we have a lot of capabilities to sell uh, to to basically uh, intermediate virtual products phone credits paying taxes uh, you know invest buying gold buying uh, mutual funds 
uh, loan, uh, all those kind of uh, capabilities is already quite mature in our online marketplaces. Uh, by by uh, pay like in travel tickets, and this these warung owners um, they they didn't they didn't have that capability before. Right? They they just buy their FMCG and they sell it to their neighbors. The neighbors, if they are not connected to e-commerce, and they only the the only access to commerce is through their the warung, right? So when we empower this, suddenly the the warung owners have new SKUs that they can trade, yeah, um, and the people in the surrounding areas, uh, you know, basically are supported. They they are connected now in the virtual product. And then the second thing is uh, what we did, we worked with a lot of principals, uh, distributors uh, to create multiple distribution centers across Indonesia. I was just being informed uh, today, we cover more than 90% of cities and regencies in Indonesia. Uh, with, with, with those uh, distribution centers, now the warung owners can order stuff, can order their, their physical goods, and we'll, we'll deliver it within one day. And because typically they are owner operator, they, are, they don't have any other employees. Um, if they have to, they run out of something, they have to close down shop, they have to go buy. And they're kind of losing time, losing, there is an opportunity cost uh, on that. Um, and, you know, with, with our kind of uh, technology or ability, we will we want to give them um, better margin because less inefficiency right um, you know um, because we have all the data and whatnot are operating operational and then the beauty is that some of this a lot of these uh, warung owners start ordering from bukalapak and they sell um, to their neighbors so immediately this uh, online merchants that we have in our marketplace get new market. These are the market that was not touched before uh, by online, right? Um, and then the, this, the neighbors of this warung suddenly is connected through e-commerce, through uh, an agent, if you will, that they trust. They can pay cash, they see their face. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I think uh, it's that is a strategy, if you will. It's like okay, uh, you know, uh, we our strategy is to focus on the problems at hand, <laughs> the market at hand, and go there. Um, you know, uh, of course, this is this is hard work, and um, this is where the rubber hits the road, and the growth is is not immediate. Um, you sign, you know, you sign up these people uh, one by one, um, and so we have to shift our resources uh, from the online into this offline. And uh, yeah, sometimes when you you search Bukalapak, uh, there are other online marketplaces that kind of basically have more transactions than us, um, which is you know, uh, it comes with a certain judgment as well. It's like, oh, you know, uh, you are losing uh, market share. But the way I look at it is like, hey, uh, if I create this solution and I compare our progress versus yesterday, I see our numbers versus uh, last year, for example, I see a lot of growth and I felt like, yeah, we, we, we are successful in, in, um, in solving this issue. So far, yeah. Uh, of course, there's still long way to go. <laughs> still, uh, many many things. You know, and once we created this platform, the online marketplace, the O2O, uh, online to offline, and we kind of uh, connect them together. It's a very powerful platform. And now the job is making sure that the cost to run it is still uh, become is still efficient and more efficient than yesterday. Scalable. Uh, Putting more people in, in in the platform, you know, and you know, I think it's it's a very fascinating uh, project so far. Yeah, it is. 
And uh, Rehmat, I think what I love what you're saying is that while it does look like a, a startup has enough and more capital and access to a lot of capital, what you rightly said, capital can be distracting. You don't have capital to do whatever you want to do. You have capital to run all the experiments so that the per unit cost keeps going down of what you want to do. I think that is the challenge that you're trying to explain, saying that don't look at capital to blow and try and do lots of things. Do few things, do it right, but ensure that you get scale in what you do. Is that Absolutely. fair, Ahmed? Yes, I couldn't put it better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, what is the one? Uh, there is a, there is a lo long term and a short term play that you have. Uh, you have some short term objectives to achieve. You have to show some numbers. But I hear you. What you're saying, you invest in the long term because you at the at the end of the day, if you don't invest in the long term, slow, steady strategies that will pay off big over a long period of time. Uh, that is where you need to allocate capital. But as a CEO, you're always running two horses together because at one point of time as a startup, you have to constantly show growth. If you're even little going off and down, you will be questioned, people will ask you. But at the same time, your mission and the vision and the passion and the scale that you're trying to run is to crack something really big. How do you manage these two? Yeah, you just have to do both, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, That's so, an easy answer. <laughs> I, 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 I think um, growth is very important. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a show of uh, whether we are doing the right thing, right? And of course, our stakeholders, our shareholders are, are always asking us and our, our, yeah, we always ask ourselves as well, are we doing the right thing? And, um, you know, the the day-to-day, month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter, year-on-year. Um, so far, I, I would say, uh, then the question is, what, which growth? You know, uh, that is the, the, the thing. And what do you compare, right? For example, uh, I would say the, the quality, the growth that I want to see is, uh, that is kind of related to mission and sustainability, right? Um, if I, I don't want us to grow selling $1 for 75 cents. Uh, if we, if we sell, you know, uh, $1 for $1 and a penny, yeah, <laughs> then, okay, uh, that is good. Uh, so at least we know that our product is very valuable. People are willing, willing to, to pay for it. And then the question is, okay, with one penny, um, can you can you run? Um, what can we do so that if let's say your cost now is a dollar, can you grow negatively <laughs> or per unit cost? So I think um, of course top line growth uh, we are all for that. Uh, it's just that uh, there are times when you know sometimes you say like okay other guys is growing this and why are you not? Uh, that is the kind of things that says like hey. Uh, we uh, don't look at that growth, look at this growth. <laughs> and of course, some of this growth that we are talking about, because we are not public company yet, um, we don't share. So, but I share it to some of my, you know, to, to the team sometimes it's like, hey, I know sometimes newspaper says like this and that, but he, here is what I see. And here's why I'm still smiling in the morning. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, uh, and then I, I will be worried if there's something, uh, something else. And this kind of uh, mindset, yeah. I think if let's say our per unit margin is not improving, our let's say uh, uh, some of these metrics uh, per our employee and whatnot is not improving, and even our top line group is not improving, I will be very very worried. Um, and I think our stakeholders and and rightly so uh, we we have to be pushed uh, towards that yeah uh, but again uh, because we believe we are we are working on or we are playing our own game uh, there is a certain targets and missions and uh, sustainability that we we want to go through um, that that is the other ones that the, the this vanity metrics or distractions um, 
I try to put that aside and um, not make my, my team very, very stressed out because of that. <laughs> yeah, great point, uh, Ramad. In fact, what you're saying reminds me of uh, this book by Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game, you know, where you have to have the long future and you're building the foundations uh, right. Uh, there's one sort of, uh, as we come to the close, there are a couple of questions I want to just uh, run through with you. One is that, um, um, what would be your advice to someone who's moves from a sort of old economy company to a new economy company? If there are one or two, because we are seeing a lot of these transitions happen now as the new tech companies are becoming bigger in scale, uh, people are sort of moving. So based on your learnings, uh, what is the one or two things you would advise to such people? Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether advice is the right term uh, because I don't think I'm successful yet. Yeah, maybe, maybe in a few years, if I were successful to create that, then I can. <laughs> but maybe a, a few things that uh, I, I keep reminding myself. Um, basically, uh, you know, it's you have to we have to be open-minded first, right? Um, uh, of course, if you are like, you know, you built your career for decades, uh, there are things, uh, you know, that you got used to and whatnot. This is quite different uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, things are, uh, you know, moving faster. The way they do things is, is different and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, we just have to be like, uh, you know, don't don't force your your personality uh, kind of uh, or or um, your constitution to the organization. You just have to kind of blend in and and become part of that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that being said, um, I think there are a few fundamental truths uh, in 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 the business. Yeah. Uh, what I describe about intermediary business i think it's quite uh, important you know th those are the, the critical things um sometimes we the the the, the fundamental economic um, equation about you know, i there's this quote in the, the book called great game of business that i really like you know basically the goals of a business is to make money or create profit and generate cash and um, and if you want to be sustainable, you have to have that ability. And of course, that mission is important. Um, but how was the the connection to to create uh, to make money or create profit and generate cash? It has to be also being need to be thought about. Yeah. Um, uh, because sometimes people say like, okay. Uh, you just have to burn money and show growth and everything will work out. <laughs> um, and if it doesn't sit well in your stomach, maybe for a reason. <laughs> so that, that one probably you have to keep in, in your, because uh, as you know, uh, some of us like to say is, again, providing superior solution really for a problem. Uh, not, this is not a game of who can fundraise the best. Right, um, and I know Regis, you probably relate to this a lot, yeah, with your profit corn uh, statement. And of course, we have to do promotion. Uh, we, you know, we have to do all of these things. But okay, first, open-mindedness have to kind of it, you, you're surrounded by by a species which is this, you know, uh, hard charging, aggressive tech. Uh, guys and whatnot, uh, you have to kind of understand where they are from. Uh, you open mind, learn, learn. Because in the end of the day, I think a lot of people still human being fundamentally similar, right? They they want to do good job. They want to do good things. They want to be respected. Uh, you know, they want to leave legacy and whatnot. The style very different, so I have to be open. And the economic though, <laughs> I have to be. You, you probably will be the guardian of this failure. <laughs> Beautifully put. Um, and um, so one last question for you. Um, when you look back, and it's been a fascinating journey and story that you've sort of outlined, 
if there is one turning point in your life which you look back which really made rahmat rahmat which made you who you are what do you think that would be well um there's there is a lot of things of course uh, but let let me let me try to tell probably a little bit of story i think um one of my my biggest regret um in my life is uh, i spend a lot of my time thinking that uh, i i was special <laughs> um maybe if you read this book the mindset i i'm probably like you know hardcore fixed mindset there right uh, think uh, you know i did very well in school uh, and uh, you know i keep doing things that i was already very good at <laughs> um little bit worried about my reputation so i didn't do things that maybe make me fail and and what not right um until until failure was brought to me in a very uh very interesting manner at least for me yeah. and i still remember this yesterday like yesterday uh so i just got back from national comp- international competition right so you know this is after after call uh, high school um i applied to one school in indonesia at that time um you know the engineering school in indonesia i didn't apply to anyone anywhere anywhere else at the time um this is even before the challenge to go to the us so i thought look you know i'm a top student in a top high school team leader in a national competition for sure i will i will get a slot in this uh, in this university and the indonesian test is basically you just tick took one test and the outcome is whether you pass or fail you don't know your score you don't know why <laughs> and i didn't pass uh so at the time it was like i felt like you know uh my world was turned upside down <laughs> and um it's like i called my mom and it's like hey uh so how uh, i said i didn't pass for the test as like are you, don't joke around He's like no i'm not so what do you want to do i said i don't know <laughs> and i was like sitting there like you know feeling like the work is like ends right? and then afterwards i i think about it i was like look you know how can i define uh, my uh, failure is actually would that define me like am i just because i fail one thing would that make me a failure and that by definition also like you know My, my whether my success is earned or whatever right so then i i i decided that okay uh focus on learning um and this is this is another uh, op, uh advice that is great so uh, just after i get my acceptance to mit my sponsor brought me to meet uh, professor habibi who was a president at the time and he's president of indonesia and he was like the top engineer is a is a aircraft engineer is like considered the the smartest guy in indonesia at the time like all the science oriented kids wants to be like him he's my my childhood idol and he told me something like hey uh, rahmat um, i studied because i want to know not because i want to pass and i was like okay that's pretty cool um so yeah and from uh, until then i tried to to like okay every time i i get a i get a challenge or things that i can do even with the cost the, the potential cost of not doing well <laughs> get a b or get a c but i think i can learn a lot or you know uh, I, i'll i'll try to take it um of course um you know if it impacts with a lot of people then i need to ask myself whether you know failure is not an option right on some on some things i'm not just trying to experiment with other people's lives when i took something i know i i need to be sure that i can do it but uh, doesn't have to be kind of like a smooth sailing all the time so those are kind of uh, period i think that um, change a lot of my life perspective wonderful i think um, i've learned a lot listening to you i think on uh, this idea of lifelong learning uh, you've been a wonderful teacher today uh, rahmat i think everyone who watches this there's so many takeaways at so many different levels 
Uh, thank you very much. I'll hand it back to Jemit uh, for the closing words. Yes, th thanks, Rajesh. Thanks, uh, Rema. I think I, I learned quite a lot today. And um, this want to know, I, I, I go to school, I, I go and study because I want to know, not because I want to pass. And I think that's, that's when I go back and I think through, that's, that's some of the best times and the most joy I've had, whether it's business or whether it's working at school or wherever, the ability to know. And you know, when I, what I take a lot away from you is that the mission of your company is to promote trade and to bring about fairness. And I agree with you that trade is the cornerstone of prosperity. If you want to take your country and your people into prosperity, trade is going to be so important. And there was a movie and um, I don't know if you know Shah Rukh Khan and it was a very popular movie. And uh, there was a dialogue that, uh, and I'll explain first, say it in Hindi, and then I'll explain which basically means is no trade, no business is big or small. No work is big or small. And there is no greater religion than business. So uh, I, I resonate with what you say and I resonate with the vision and the mission of your company and the ability to bring equitable fair trade to everybody. And that is the only way a nation and a people and the world can in, and can move up and come out of all the problems and uh, issues that they have. And thank you, Rehmat. It was an absolutely lovely conversation, a true hippo brain. Any last words from you? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And um, basically, you know, if you listen to the story, I apologize if I say wrong things and whatnot. But uh, yeah, hope hope there is a positive that uh, can be taken. Um, we call it the United States from God, and the mistake is all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Rebut, you're, tr you're truly you're truly a nice, humble human being, and I have to, I have to just learn that much. <laughs> if I learn that much one from you, I think I'll be in a far better place. Thank you, thank you for being on Hippo Brain. It's where we get these amazing conversations. We hope to expand and have many, many more hippo brains. You can watch us on YouTube, subscribe, press the bell icon. You can get it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for being a great audience. Thank you, Rehmat, for being an absolutely awesome hippo brain. <laughs>